0: Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth, or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Alex has selected a moment today from an organ chorale prelude, Nun kommt der Highland, BWV 659.
1: Come, Thou Redeemer of the earth, and manifest Thy virgin birth. Let every age adoring fall. Such a birth befits the God of all." Those words an English translation of the Latin hymn Veni Redemptor Gentium by Ambrose of Milan. Now, if we think Bach lived a long time ago, it's nothing compared to Ambrose of Milan, one of the first known Christian hymn writers who lived in the 300s AD. Then, the chant tune associated with this came from the Middle Ages. Then, we know this hymn tune by way of Martin Luther, who took that chant tune along with the Latin text and created his own German language version of it and straightened out the rhythm of the chant a little bit into something we now know in English as Savior of the Nations Come, which Luther called in German Nun kommt der Heiden Heiland. Longtime listeners of A Moment of Bach will know that we talked about this on our very second episode back in season one, a cantata based on this tune. And then we revisited that cantata in season two in the second episode, so not that long ago. Well, I guess it was several weeks ago now, right, Christian? Mm Mm-hmm. And now we are taking our first look at a non-cantata setting of that by Bach this time for a solo organ, as a chorale prelude. We get to hear the four lines of text put onto one very interesting-sounding horn stop on the organ, one interesting-sounding rank on the organ called a crumb horn. Let's listen to that particular tone again. That has a lot of character to it. It's very uh it's very honky, you know. Yeah. So back in season one, episode thirty-four, we talked about a piece from the Orgelbuchlein. And Christian, you were mentioning the wonderful particular qualities of the organ and what it can do. And we looked at rufe zu dir Herr Jesu Christ which was from the organ line and we saw that the pedals were playing their own little line and we saw that the left hand was playing its own little line in a softer sound and we saw that the right hand was playing its own little line in a louder sound and it's pretty similar to what we have here we have the pedals plodding along in an eighth note pattern that goes bum 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 then we have the left hand which gets to play two separate horizontal lines of music or voices of music we've talked about before. And when you hear that come in, you'll recognize, if you know the tune, you'll recognize Savior of the nations come.
0: tune is everything here it's it's all referential if you if you don't recognize the tune then you'll it'll just sound like flowery pretty music and that's it but the thing is is that the tune is actually ultra simple Mm. in its bare form
1: Yeah, and this is like the perfect encapsulation of what the Baroque era is in every way, artistically. Not just music, but in everything. The Baroque era is all about ornamentation and adornment of beauty. And here we have a simple, pretty austere melody coming from Luther, typical of German chorale of that time, being spruced up here. If you listen to this crumb horn it starts with something fairly recognizable <speaking> dun, dun, du, but then it kind of goes off to the left here and then it goes somewhere else and then eventually you really lose it and bach is adorning this so much that The original chorale melody is kind of lost here, so we have to think about, well, what are the words here that he's trying to portray, and why is he setting this in such a way? Savior of the nations, come, virgins, son, here make thy home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. is an English translation of the German version from Luther pretty similar to the other one I read which was a translation of the original Latin from Ambrose I would say if we're thinking of a main theme or feel of like this original text it's it's about beholding this wonderful mystery it's about how wild it is that this happened it's about how God chose to place his own son here on earth as a human who was also fully God, and why? You know, why is that? And we learn later, right, in the story, that that's the account from all the Gospels. We learn why, and it's expounded upon in the letters later in the New Testament, why Jesus had to be fully man to atone for sins, right? And there's a whole theological theory about all this stuff. But here, it's just about Christmas, or rather, Advent, so we're looking ahead to Christmas, and how this child is gonna be born. It's gonna be the Word of God made flesh. So there's this mystery to it. And I think that's portrayed really nicely in this very unusual organ sound, which is hinting at this melody, but then kind of doing its own thing. It's kind of it's kind of all over the place. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's almost like you're trying to make sense of this as you're listening to
0: it. Yeah, it also, it winds up being so different from the original source material after the first few notes, but we get both, right? Alex, we get at the beginning, pedal start and then Right away, two overlapping voices come in right, that the, are the, the tenor the and the melody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's almost austerely strict counterpoint at that point is pretty basic. And the interview with the organist Van Dosselaar, he says that that's almost like a little motet for the left-handed pedals. In other words, a little a, a simple text setting for the left-handed pedals, almost vocal hmm. renaissance-y in quality and simplicity and uh, and beauty. And then suddenly, that right hand comes in with that strange crumb horn decorated so much. And it deviates from those notes. And it goes up and up. And then as during the course of, of the four phrases of Nun kommt der ascends way way past where the melody goes yeah and that's the thing about this the thing that i love about this melody is that it's incredibly practically useful because it's easy to sing it has four phrases that are very simple the first and the fourth are the same Mm -hmm. and it has a nice little arc to it throughout all four and it comes back down to the end it's nice yeah and also it has an incredibly narrow range so it starts yeah, the on like a sixth, right? Yeah, it's like it starts on on this one note, goes up a fifth at the very top of it, and then and then just one note below that first note, and that's it. So there are infinite possibilities for transformation of a melody this simple. Yeah, making it higher, making two parts happen at once. We see it already in the first couple of measures before the solo even comes in. already some overlap that's nothing that's like not hard at all for bach that's like getting up and brushing his teeth that first those first few measures the counterpoint is nothing to him like that's yeah. easy but where it gets really creative is where that ornamented melody comes in this score alex that i'm looking at all of a sudden it it starts looking like a normal New Cumberland Highland setting for the organ, yeah, and then that right hand comes in, and then the page the page gets darker because <laughs> there's yeah, a lot of too. black ink because the notes are faster and sixteenth notes, thirty second notes, and so on are increasing, and also the range of it is getting higher, and that's it's just remarkable.
1: Yeah, and a little bit of music engraving trivia is that. If you go out of the range of the of a normal instrument, you typically have to write these extra lines called ledger lines and it will it will be a little harder to read in some cases. And to your point Christian about the page just getting darker, you see all these ledger lines that's helping to add to the darkness, the extra ink on the page mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. especially to all the 16th and 32nd notes which are the faster notes happening in the crumhorn part. Whenever you hear all those, you can expect the page to look pretty complicated and busy because of all these extra notes that you see in there and there are like you said christian four lines here and i'll i'll bring you to my favorite moment here and that is at the very end as you said christian the first and fourth lines are the same material in the hymn and bach does it here too he he repeats the material in this organ setting he repeats that first Phrase again at the the end and we know if we're listening even though it is hard to figure it out We know that we're coming to an end here because it feels like it's going somewhere final Even if you aren't paying attention to how many lines have been played But then instead of landing on the final note of the hymn tune and then ending there, Bach gives us a pretty characteristic but still pretty amazing little cadential extension or like an extension of the end of the piece. We could call this a coda. In music, a coda is a general term which means ending or tail or like something that you add on to the end of the piece instead of ending it on the final note where you think you're adding something extra. So instead of landing on just G minor or G major, he gives us a G7 chord, because listen to what happens in that melody line. Instead of ending there, it's keeps moving, it keeps doing all this interesting stuff, especially jumping up high, which I love the character of that tone there. And then falling down and down and down toward the final note. Finally get there we finally land on that final note of the crumb horn, but even then listen to the inner voices They still have a couple things to do before they finish up. You know, they have some unfinished business there And it's really really cool And that is my favorite moment is that very ending
0: prolongation of an ending this way harmonically like you said alex of right on that moment where it could be the very last chord there's something in the harmony that tells us that it's not and then going on for a couple of measures but then also even the last chord being delayed like you also said by a few inner inner parts still moving we would call this a coda like ending because it has its own ending it has a separate ending from the body of it you know the the body of it ended there at the third, third to last measure, right? But then the, the last three measures are ending. They are coda measures. Right. And we need that. We need that to settle in psychologically to feel this is ending. But also, it's a nice little diversion at the very end. A nice little deception. Oh, not quite the end. Not quite the end. And finally, resting. Almost resting. Almost resting. Okay, done. Yeah, Exactly. The augmented harmony that occurs on, on a beat in that last measure is really nice.
1: Yeah, and that that is actually exactly the moment if we're going to narrow down to like a second of time. It's the right before it resolves to the final chord. So that final chord sounds like this. And what we get right before it is this. And listen to how those notes move in. This note moves up, this note moves down. So cool, and so, I don't know, it's almost creepy sounding.
0: Well, at least when you, when you leave it, like when you isolate it. It's certainly unusual. One last little dissonance before it finally resolves at the end. And I always love these
1: extended endings in in anything really i mean
0: there's there's just something so satisfying about that yeah and i think that different composers approached them differently beethoven elongated these things to ridiculous degrees um but but handel liked like in the messiah handel liked to just cut everything and freeze and then just end the last you know the last a yep. uh, last <laughs> coda of like, final. think of the end of the hallelujah chorus for instance that is that is a coda that the body of the piece is over and it could have ended but there's one last chord change at the end to solidify the fact that we are indeed home at the end Yeah. and Bach's solution is a little bit more subtle, I think where we have this pedal bass note just staying put but the harmony is questioning still are we done? are we done? and then the pedal actually moves again complete another final cadence and then the inner parts still move and then and then they're done
1: yeah like part of me wonders if he just had more room on the paper you know and he was like oh just might as well use the rest (laughs) of
0: this page except for that he does it so often i mean he rarely he rarely (laughs) ends a melody on the last note and just it's over
1: yeah no i obviously it's much more intentional than just him (laughs) deciding he wants to to use space on the page or whatever but to your point about Handel, i like the um i don't want to bash Handel. obviously we're doing a bach podcast so we like bach more in that way but Handel's great but he Handel does great he does it, he does it a little bit more just like bluntly you're right he does he cuts and then it says adagio in the music which means like slow and then you do that play cadence at the end which sends like an amen cadence and he does that a lot in Messiah, not just in the Hallelujah Chorus, but in a bunch of the different choruses. And it works. It's, it gets the job done. And it's kind of it's kind of an exciting moment when he does it. And it's really clear and transparent. Yeah. And that's kind of how Handel is. I mean, it's it, there's complexity in the music, but it's also very clear. And a lot of times with Bach, and here's a great example, the music has a lot more color and opaqueness to it i mean i think of stained glass windows when i think of bach i think of like a clear window looking outside to the sunshine when i think of Handel. Mm, I like that yeah yeah and and i mean that's not always bad right again i'm not trying to bash Handel. <laughs> okay because like, both because both, both are good because
0: both of them knew exactly how to perfectly make a window you could yeah. say and that's true because Handel had exquisite counterpoint technique yeah oh yeah he had he had the top level of counterpoint technique as did bach but the, that's the difference, Alex. Is that Handel's is, Handel's music is is pretty transparent. Bach's music is denser, and m- more layered, mm-hmm. and more colorful, and more more in service of source of religious source text,
1: like this, yeah. Yeah, this one. Well, I guess you could take that stained glass analogy a little farther. Yeah, like it's a little bit more attached to the older religious tradition in that way. Yeah, literally attached
0: to a church. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if the analogy is. Is, uh, is taken to its extreme. And now, here is the ending of the organ chorale prelude Nun kommt der Heidenheiland. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the chorale prelude, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance by Leo van Dusselaar of the Netherlands Bach Society. To hear our new episodes as we release them, find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Also, check us out on Instagram or Facebook or our website, where you can leave a comment that comes straight to us.
1: And that's momentofbach.com. All right, Christian, what are we talking about? next episode, or should I say the next few episodes?
0: Yeah, so we will actually be doing a mini-series on another Brandenburg Concerto. We did this last year and we did it on the very famous Brandenburg Concerto number three. This time we're taking a look at arguably my favorite Brandenburg Concerto number four. All right.
1: Until next time, enjoy those moments.